Well, good morning, everyone. Our text this morning that we're going to be looking at is Romans uh, chapter 11, verses 25 through 32. If uh, you want to turn there in your Bibles or your Bible apps, whatever you're using this morning, and follow along as I read it here in a minute. Now, we've mentioned this already, but our context that we're talking about this morning that we're in in our text and really the book of Romans, Paul is bringing together two groups of believers. Uh, you have those of Jewish descent who acknowledge that Jesus is the true and rightful Messiah that they've been waiting on their whole lives. Uh, he's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the fulfillment of all the rituals and the celebrations that they've grown up participating in their whole life. Then on the other side, you have these new believers who grew up outside the family of God. Um, they're unlearned. They, they were pagans at one point who have come to see and acknowledge their sinful pursuits. They've repented of their sin and now seek to be followers of Christ. And throughout the book of Romans, there's been a lot of attention given to the Jews uh, prior to this, kind of uh, encouraging them to welcome their new brothers and sisters of the faith and understanding what it means to be a true child of the faith. But in this chapter that we've been in over the last few weeks, uh, this chapter seems to focus, especially these last two weeks or three weeks, seem to focus more on Gentile believers who, in, in kind of their new um, growth or, or, or joining in and grafting in the family tree, have become arrogant. Um, and so here you have these law keepers and you have these law breakers, a bunch of sinners saved by grace, learning to love Jesus and love each other. What could possibly go wrong with that? Um, if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read it for us? Romans 11, starting in verse 25. Hear the word of God. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now you have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. As you take your seats, let me pray for us. Father, this morning we pray, even as we come in and we hear the sounds of children and we realize uh, what an effort to be here, uh, to find us, to struggle, to get here, to stay, to pay attention, uh, to focus such restless hearts. Father, we pray that you would feed us this morning with the food that we cannot see. We pray that your word would fill us, encourage us, strengthen us for the journey, not only of what we need now this morning, what we needed earlier today, but what we need when we will leave this place. Father, feed us in your word. Your word is truth. And it's in your holy son's name we pray. Amen. 
I want to share three word association that Paul alludes to in our text this morning as we kind of walk through the text together. And then hopefully bring us back to kind of the, the grand message that Paul is ultimately trying to share through all of this. And the word associations or the connections uh, between these words are first, knowledge and humility. Knowledge and humility, verse 25. Disobedience and deliverance, verses 26 through 27. And then election and mercy. So knowledge and humility, disobedience and deliverance, and election and mercy. Let's look at verse 25 together. Lest you be wise in your own sight, do not be unaware. Uh, I, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Paul, again, is addressing Gentile believers here who've become arrogant, as we said last week, inappropriately thinking that they're standing in the new church of Christ somehow trumps Jews' claim to be the people of God. They somehow have replaced those and become the people of God. So we addressed that at length last week, but in verse 25, Paul cautions them that conceit leads to ignorance. That's, that's how he starts this, this idea. Conceit leads to ignorance. In other words, thinking too highly of ourselves makes us blind to the truth of what God is actually doing around us. Now here's the issue. Our, our natural state most often thinks more highly of ourselves than others, which is in direct contradiction to God's word that he teaches us in verses like Philippians 2, verse 3, to do nothing out of selfish ambition, but consider others as better than yourself. That, that's the teaching of God's word. And Paul is saying, living this way makes us blind to the realities around us. Now, as a believer, maybe you, like me, can resonate to moments in your lives um, that, that there are still, even after becoming a believer, there are still times in your life where you can find yourself blinded by the ambition of what you want or what you want to see happen. And, and forget that life is not about what we want. Life is ultimately about what God wants. And, and that our life on this earth and our struggle in this life is bending our will to be what God's will is. To see what he sees. To want what he wants. And that just happens to also be what we need most. Whether we know it or not. Whether we believe it or not. And just ask this question as we kind of enter into this thought. Has your desire for something ever been so strong that you simply ran past the fact that God might be saying no? So how do we avoid, as the people of God, this sort of ignorance? I think Paul gives us this. Uh, it's in contrast to Paul's warning that we find, and it's our first association. If conceit leads to ignorance. Well, then the opposite of that would be humility leads to knowledge. If conceit leads to ignorance, then it's humility that leads us to knowledge. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Psalm 25.9, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. It's humility. It's humility that leads us to knowledge. 
This journey that Paul is entreating these Gentile brothers and sisters to join him on in chapter 11. It's a journey into humility for the sake of knowledge, and it flows out of the gospel. Look at verses 25 through 29. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it's written, and he, and he quotes here from Isaiah, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, we talked about this at length last week. But, but Israel took God for granted. And so in justice and righteousness, God removed his hand of blessing, which inevitably resulted into their spiritual blindness and their deafness. Something the Gentiles now seek to seize upon and lord over the Jews. But Paul reminds them that if God hadn't done this, they wouldn't be here. See, right there, he's, he's teaching them humility. It, it, your, your desire is to lord it over them. To take on pride and arrogance is your necklace, as Psalm 73 talks about. But the way forward here is to understand that if I hadn't done that, you wouldn't be here. It's humility. In other words, what he's saying here in our second association, disobedience ultimately leads to deliverance. A partial, a partial hardening opens the door for the gospel to reach Gentile believers. And while we know this from Scripture, God disciplines, God rebukes, He refines, but He also doesn't break promises, ever. Even when we break our promise to Him, He remains faithful. That's what these old reference, uh, the old, old Testament references here are reminded, uh, reminding us of, is that God isn't going to go against what He's previously already said and promised to the people of God. There are, uh, this, these are God's providential means of drawing in each and every one of his family into his fold. Now, really a quick side note here. There's been a lot of debate on what God, in, or what uh, Paul intended when he wrote the phrase, all Israel will be saved. I just want to kind of give you the different players in the game. Some have referenced Israel here. Uh, that isn't referring to the national or ethnic Israel here, but rather the universal church of believers. So that's, I think, where Martin Luther was and a couple of other people uh, in, in the fight was he was referring to just the church, the universal church of believers here. Others have gone so far as to say that all Israel literally means all of is, it, ethnic or, it, or, or national Israel here, meaning God is going to save all of Israel no matter what. Now, that would obviously seemingly contradict earlier statements from Paul that we are not children of God by birth or ethnicity, but rather by rebirth in Christ. And so you kind of got these different players. Um, most, and, and I'll just say I fall into this camp as well, seem to think, based on the context here, where Paul is referencing Israel as a separate entity from Gentiles or the people of the church, that he's talking about a remnant of believing and future believing, maybe even potentially right now partially hardened for a season, ethnic or national Israel. So he's talking about the people of Israel, or at least a remnant of them, 
who are believing, who will believe, who may be even personally hardened at this time, but as we talked about last week, who God fully intends to regraft into the tree. And just, just so you know, this regrafting, and I, I thought about this last week because I didn't mention it, this idea of regrafting, he's not referring to having salvation, losing it, and then somehow regaining it, which you could think of like a branch in a tree being broken off and being put back in as somehow having salvation, being taken away from salvation and given salvation again. It refers to having a share in what is known as God's common grace. That as an ethnic people of God, Israel, receive benefits from being a member of Israel that has been removed as they're broken off, only that at the appointed time, they would receive his special grace. The special grace that leads us to salvation and repentance, which is only in Jesus Christ. And so the regrafting in is the idea that people are receiving God's special grace. And coming underneath the true people of God as the spiritual children of God. But beyond those arguments, because they exist, we could get into that. The point of all of this is, what, what do we have to boast in? If, if we were to look at salvation in the story of, of being brought into the family of God... Whether and how, and ethnic Israel, national Israel, and whether you think there's going to be this huge kind of people of Israel coming in at the last minute or whatever. The point is, what do we have to boast in? It should humble us to think that God would go to such lengths to pursue and rescue his people just like he has us. Look at verses 28 through 32. As regards... The gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that they may be sh that mercy shown to you. They also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that... He may have mercy on all. So disobedience leads to deliverance. Um, humility leads to knowledge. And our last association, election and mercy. It seems like both of these groups at times in Romans want to highlight kind of the worst parts of the other on the outside. And what Paul is trying to highlight here is what matters most. That through no work of their own, they have become family through Christ. The reality at this time is that Gentile Christians are facing opposition. But, uh, and a lot of that opposition is coming from Jews who are not believers in Christ. The Jewish leadership kills Jesus and then seeks to destroy his church and its followers. And this is kind of the context that the church is kind of growing in. And, and, and nobody is better to speak to this issue at this time than Paul, who we know at one time was Saul. And he was part of that group that was trying to destroy God's people, trying to dissolve the church and spread it out. So in one sense, the people of Israel are enemies of the gospel. 
at this time and place. And God rightfully opposes them, even to the point of hardening them. Now, why does he do this? He does this so that the church might flourish. See, it's in their partial hardening that more and more of God's elect might know and understand the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last week. Paul refers to it again this week. That it's in this time of partial hardening where God is opposing his very own people and, and, and basically putting restrictions on them and holding them down so that the church might flourish. So that the gospel might spread. And more and more people might be rescued out of their sin, misery, and death in exchange for a glorious hope and future. But remember... Like, as great as that is, remember, God keeps his promises. So while we would say, go Gentiles, like, go church, you know, down with the Jews and, and, and go church, God is saying, wait, 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 wait. Like, I'm for them, too. I, I, have, I have people here, too. I keep my promises. Yes, go church, go Jesus. I will raise that up. I will grow that. But let's not forget, I don't keep my promise. I, I always keep my promises. If I can take a Saul, who is the poster boy of, of church haters, and I can make him into Paul the Apostle, then I can fulfill my promise, continue to fulfill my promise to the people of my own possession. Those Jews now lost in sin, hearts hardened, Eyes blinded, ears deafened, full of pride, full of selfish ambition, and unable to see and hear the work of God that's right there in front of them. The things that he's doing, the things that he's shown and revealed through the person of Jesus that they've rejected, this happening right there. Elect. These are the elect. Chosen before the beginning of time to be God's spiritual children. We want to hate them. We want to cast them out. And God is not doing so. They're elect before the beginning of time to be spiritual children of God. The running theme here that's underpinning all of this is, so were you. So were you at one time blind. So were you at one time deaf. So are you, an enemy of the church and an enemy of Christ, working against the very creator of the universe. So are you. As we close this morning, I, I want to I want to quote from a book, Gentle and Lowly. Um, it's just a great book that I've read recently. Um, we may be doing kind of something with that in the fall. Dane um, Ortland, who writes, says this. There's an entire psych psychological substructure that due to the fall is a near constant manufacturing of relational leveraging, fear stuffing, nervousness, scorekeeping, neurotic controlling, anxiety festering, silliness that is not something we say or even think so much as something we exhale. You can smell it on people though some of us are good at hiding. And if you trace this foundation of scurrying haste in all its various manifestations down to the root, you don't find childhood difficulties or Myers-Briggs diagnosis 
or Freudian impulses, you find gospel deficits. You find lack of felt awareness of Christ's heart. See, as the people of God this morning, when we think about what it means to be family, what it means to long-suffer, what it means to continually pursue God, we can get into all these other things, and we can look and, and, and draw walls and all of these different things, but at the end of it all, it's all about understanding better the gospel. The gospel that saved us. It's about having a greater felt awareness of Christ's heart in all things. You see, we forget the gospel. It, it, it's not something we hear once, accept, and forget. It's something we need to hear all the time. At the least, it's my job as your pastor or whatever I am to you that when you come here, you'll at least hear it once. You'll hear the gospel here. But we need it more than that. If I ask you to share the gospel, you believe and stake your life on how easy would it flow from your lips? Do you rehearse it to yourself? We, we talk about sharing the gospel with others, but how often do you share the gospel with yourself? How easily does this gospel that you hang your life on and you stake your life in, do you tell yourself that it flows from your lips? Your story flows from your lips. How many times a week do you remind yourself of the certainties that usher in God's love, His forgiveness, and His grace to your hearts? How often do we do that? Do you surround yourself with those who remind you of these certainties? Or do you surround yourself with fellow neurotic people that get you lost in thinking about everything else but what matters most? Understanding Christ's affection for us, understanding what God has saved us from, and understanding what God is building us. And it's more than hearing it. We could stop there. Yes, rehearsing it, putting it on our lips, that would be helpful to us. But it's more. We need to engage our hearts to its reality. And engaging our hearts will often mean asking ourselves hard questions that we need to be asked that may lead to some sort of unawareness. It may lead to some sort of blindness that we have, even as believers, where we're, we're, we're not thinking clearly. We've been lost in something. We're stuck in our selfish ambition. We have to ask ourselves hard questions of how we might be denying the gospel's very existence right here and now. With how we're thinking. With how we're acting. With what we're believing. It's a journey into humility for the sake of knowledge. And it flows out of the gospel. Thanks be to God that holds on to us even when we seek to pull away from Him. Let's pray together. Father, Your Word to us, Your Word for us, Your Word in us, we would pray. May it be effective for rebuke, for training, for steering us towards righteousness and away from selfish ambition.
Father, highlight the work of Jesus in our own hearts. Cause us to rehearse the very gospel that saved us on our lips. That we would say it to ourselves. That we would say it to everyone who would listen. And even those who wouldn't. Have your way in us, we pray.
you know, when you preach a sermon like that and you walk away and you think, is that helpful or whatever, and she just comes and she just hugs me and she just loves me and gives me acceptance. And the reality was, she didn't pay attention to what I said. There's no idea. Uh, reminds us where our Father, how our Father thinks of us in heaven and how he embraces us and loves us uh, no matter what we do and how we say or... Um, Beautiful picture this morning. I need to be reminded of. Let's let's close. Uh, let me say this real quick. Um, give you an update on the building. If you will pray this week, we have some kind of benchmarks. I think going forward with the building, it feels like it's been forever. It has been forever. Um, and so, with the owners, we're working with them. We're working with the city, and we have some benchmarks this week that we really need to hit. Um, and so we've let them know that. And uh, so pray with me that we're able to do those things and we're able to move ahead very, very soon. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I didn't even, yeah, uh, in the back right here, on the very, very back where it has some different ways to give, there's some announcements for you as well that we would love to have. Um, uh, you'll see here back at the student union that we were back last week. Um, we'll be back there the first and eighth for the next two weeks. Um, communion's next Sunday. The men's book study's been going really well. Um, still time for you to come and be a part of that. Um, I think um, most of us have a book. Most of us are reading it. I read the wrong chapters this week, so they gave me grace, but we had a great discussion anyway. Um, and then a couple other things going on there. Uh, the Friday lunch, the churchwide thing, inquires class coming up. We would love to have you guys. So just be aware of those things. Um, receive God's benediction. Now finish the update on the building. Praying this week. That's really all there is. Let's pray. We'll keep you up to date. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing about the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.